be a sponge. So, you know, just consume everything. You know, for me, that's not just whatever field that you're in. So if, you, if you're in graphic design, don't just consume graphic design. You know, look at other stuff, look at everything, nothing, you know, everything creative or anything that's going to be inspirational. Graphic design empire. Take control of it. Do you know what? These are really great questions. If you want it, you're just going to find a way to get it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Offer Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hirons from Blue Deer Design, and today we're chatting with Gavin Hughes. Gavin is a design director at HLW, an architecture and planning company. Gavin specialises in interior design, having studied interior design at university after being rejected for graphic design. During the show, Gavin shares the story of breaking out into the industry, moving around to different countries. We talk about designing workspaces, how it compares to graphic design, the process of planning a room, his dream job, and much more. Gavin shares loads of great advice for people wanting to get into interior design and architecture, some top tips on how to get into the industry. Really hope you enjoy this episode, and it's slightly different from the usual graphic design branding. And for that reason, I really enjoy chatting to Gavin and learning a lot more about an industry I didn't really know much about. Thanks very much. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's talk a bit about your background and growing up and how you got into interior design and graphic design and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've got a kind of a non, non-linear path, I guess. Um, so originally, like, you know, going way, way back, I was always, always interested in drawing. Uh, it's one of my earliest memories, to be honest, you know, from being a kid back in school. Um, and yeah, I can even remember the utter frustration of uh, trying to draw. You, um, you, you used to get this thing called a, a busy book, right. which was effectively like a little jotter notebook at school. And in that, uh, I can't remember if it was like every week or you know every day, whatever. Um, so the teacher would say, uh, draw and tell a story of what you, know, what you did the previous night or at the weekend. Um, so I can remember distinctly like uh, drawing that, colouring in, um, and even you know being whatever four, four and a half five, being utterly frustrated at not being able to draw accurately this the stuff that I could visualise clearly in my head that had happened the weekend. Um, so for, you know from that I guess there was always a sense of uh, you know, not being satisfied. Even even when teachers were really additive really encouraging uh, teachers, so uh, even though they were encouraging, uh, I was always frustrated and I always wanted to kind of better myself. Um, and yeah, so I just continued to draw all the way through school and uh, to the point where I was purely interested in, in art. Um, everything else I was you know, pretty, pretty average or pretty rubbish at, yeah. so <laughs> all the essential stuff like maths, I absolutely detested. Um, you know, to this day, I think, I don't know if this is a cop-out, you know, I might have some sort of number dyslexia, I don't know, yeah. so I always kind of struggled to, to get my head around that. See, um, the other day I was sitting at the desk and I was told to remember a few numbers, and I got the numbers right, but I was the, they were the other way around. And I don't know if you've yeah. ever done that, but it's just in the wrong order. It's just, it's just like the same with me. I've been always been quite creative, but struggle with maths yeah. and English, and it's just like, well, it's all I have to push through it. <laughs> Definitely, and like you know, when you say English, so English at school, I I pretty much hated for most of school as well. But I think that was more down to uh, the curriculum and the stuff that they were teaching you. So the books that they were given is, is you know, you can imagine as a 
a 12-year-old boy in Glasgow, you were getting stuff that you just you know, could not identify with, you had no interest in. So yeah. I didn't I didn't really get into reading and you know fiction too much late in life and then I realised there was actually loads, loads of interesting stuff out there. Um, anyway, I'm t- tangent. So uh, yeah, so the drawing thing, uh, always interested in art. Um, by the time I got to high school, I ended up with uh, an like, excellent art department. Um, so uh, the teacher there, you know, super encouraging, uh, really steered me along a lot of good routes. Mm. Um, and that's that was the, f- the kind of first time that I'd heard about uh, graphic design, to be honest, and I was probably, I don't know, like you know, 16 or something by the time I'd heard that term, graphic design. Um, and I, th- I thought I wanted to do that, but I think that was partly also down to... Uh, not knowing what you know, what else was out there really, and what else was uh, possible, um, and then uh, ultimately I didn't get into the course that I applied to. It was the I think it was the most applied for course in the art school, the graphic design oh, right. one. Uh, I, I remember the day we you used to take up your you know, your massive uh, folio. Um, and they, you take it into a room, and it was it was like have you ever seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? And yeah, yeah. Films. and that that end sequence where it's just a sea of you know racks and racks of stuff, um, and, and it was kind of like that. You took it up, and the guy was like, "Cheers!" and just dumped it on this massive pile. So we were like, oh, "No chance." Um, anyway, so I didn't get to that, and then uh, the short version is my my best friend from growing up. We used to we used to draw together, draw comics and stuff. Um, he, I can't even remember how he got into it, but he got into an interior design course, and he was like, "Oh, you should, you should come and have a look at it. It looks fun. Uh, it looks, it looks interesting, and you get to draw a lot." Yeah. Uh, so I went down there, had a chat with him, and uh, pretty much kind of got a spot there and then. Um, and then I, I committed. I think it was one year at the time, which is uh, a qualification in Scotland called a national certificate. So I was like, right, I'll do it for a year, uh, see, if, see if it's for me, see if I'm interested. Um, and yeah, liked it. It seemed to kind of be quite good at it. Um, and then stuck it out and did the degree. Um, and that was it. And I'm still here. Nice. Uh, when, when you were younger, did you have like, creative parents, creative influences to, that, that made you draw all the time? Yeah. Um, so... I, th- I think my mum used to draw a little bit, um, and she, she was like, "All right." Um, but my my dad was so he he was a civil engineer by trade uh, until okay. he retired. Um, so I, de- I definitely get my kind of logic. So obviously in design, yeah, there's a whole problem solving part and logical part. Uh, so I definitely get that from my dad. Um, but when I when I was much younger, he used to uh, like do watercolor. Uh, Paintings of uh, like World War Two scenes. Oh, so nice! Be, uh, yeah, and he—I shouldn't say that—but he, he used to steal uh, like the, the old drawing rolls that you get in uh, drawing studios. Yeah, he'd steal them from his office in the, the railway, and uh, so he would do these kind of widescreen, you know, watercolor paintings of like uh, Panzer tanks. And That's pretty cool. Like that. Yeah, so I, I wish I asked him recently actually uh, if he had any of them, but I think he did. In the oh, nice. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I was always, I guess I was always kind of around, you know, 
the, the making of drawing itself, and that's, that's probably where it came from. Yeah, oh, cool. And and you talked about uh, rejection in the, in the thing you sent over to me before we started the podcast, um, yeah. being rejected quite a lot. He said, uh, so what this was, was this like your first, like not getting into the course you wanted? Is that like the first proper rejection you got? And how did you yeah, deal with it? Yeah, no, absolutely. So when it's, you know, you know what it's like when you looking back now, you know, it's not, it's not that big of a deal, obviously, but when you're, you know, when you just start now and I guess it's the first thing that you've decided, you know, I, I want to do this, you know, this is the, the thing that I want to do. Um, and to you at that point in your life, it's, it's everything and it means everything. And then to get uh, your first bit of rejection, because you know, up until that point, obviously you've been in school, so there's no real rejection there. You know, you're getting scored and you're getting graded. Yeah. And uh, at school, I was always getting good grades in art. Um, so then, yeah, to go from that, you know, being uh, one of the top, top art students in your school, and then obviously when you take you from your school and you go into this much much bigger pond of people. Yeah. Um, and then getting that rejection it like genuinely the time was devastating, you know, absolutely gutted. Um and you know, I didn't have a backup plan because at that time it was it was just just focusing on that. So that that was a, a shocker mm. to be then like shit, you know, what what am I gonna do now? What was it uh, like learning it up in Scotland? Like what, what sort of stuff did they teach you? Graphic design course. Uh, in, in school, you mean? Or, yeah, um, in school, yeah. So my school was really good in that it, it, it split it up into, I think it was like three three main parts to your course. So you would have an art, uh, you'd have the theory stuff, which I was never interested in in school. Um, so you'd have to study you know, things like the Bauhaus or okay. uh, yeah. movement, and then you would have to actually write a critical piece on it. Um, no, a bit more interested now, but at the time when you're again when you're like 16, 17, you're like, I don't know. So they so you had that and then you had uh, expressive, I think it was called, which was you picked anything, you picked a topic, you know, still life, whatever that might be, or portraiture, and then you could do it and develop any style or any any medium. Right. And then the third part was uh, design. So then you would pick something to design. Um, and I, I honestly can't remember what anyone else did. I think most people um, did graphic design in some sort because, like, like I said, I think at that age, especially pre-internet, you know, there was a, a much less awareness of all the different design things like industrial products, you know, architecture, etc. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I just think I remember doing uh, uh, magazine covers and like record covers um, for things that you were interested in at that age, uh, like snowboarding magazines. And, you know, I've never been snowboarding in my life, but we used to like cool, the, the, the photography and the artwork and the design and everything. Absolutely, yeah. Seems a lot more advanced than what I did at school. And we were just doing like, like small packaging, but it was all handmade like packaging and, and nets and wow. stuff. But yeah, that's pretty cool. I actually got moved to Scotland. Um. <laughs> and uh, you, to advertise Scotland, your uh, education is free in Scotland. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, I left uh, university with like minimal debt. I think I got a tiny loan one year just to buy 
state-of-the-art computer at the time, which is this uh, so, uh, IBM, you know, the old CTR or uh, box monitors. Yeah. And my, uh, my hard drive had five gigabytes of storage <laughs> on it, which was like amazing. And it had a, had a floppy disk on it still. Nice. Is, it, <laughs> uh, is, that, is that free for, for university for everyone, or is that just for Scottish people? Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember what they realised. I think you, you need to live there for at least three or four years, something like that. So, yeah, if you, if you live there, then you're entitled to free education. Okay. Which is which is probably one of the main reasons I got an education because I wouldn't have been able to afford, uh, you know, nowadays in England uh, the prices there's no way that we could have afforded that. Yeah, it's a ridiculous price. Yeah. So, do you think you would have done it even if um, if it cost a lot of money back then, or, or you think you would have been sort of not? Done, you I, don't, have... I don't know. I would have had the option to be honest. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm sure you know my parents were completely supportive and they they really dumped deep when they. You had to help out with stuff or buy stuff like equipment. Yeah. Uh, especially back then, you had to have you know massive A0 drawing board, technical board, and stuff. Um, I don't know. I'm sure they would have done everything they could to help, but I don't, I don't know that it would have been possible. Yeah, absolutely. That's a lot of lot of uh, students are finding that these days, and also you don't really you, t- you don't also have to go to uh, like college for graphic design these days as well. You know, if you've got a, if you can build it up on your own on the side as well, but. It's, um, yeah. I think it's one that students, with, with increasing prices, students are weighing up a lot, a lot more and more. Uh, Definitely. I mean, something I, I quite like the, you know, the idea of uh, apprenticeship. Yeah. And, and I don't think that, you know, it's mostly associated with manual labour work or, or, you know, traditional work. Um, I, I think, you know, you learn, you learn so much more on the job than you, you would it So after university and after college, that that's um, the period where you where you were after that. What happened? What happened when you left? Yeah. So um, I don't know if it was a. I, I always say it was a, a market thing, and it was a bad market when I graduated in Scotland. Um, 
maybe there was, maybe there wasn't, or maybe it was just a bit lukewarm. Um, but when I graduated, uh, I, I felt like at that time again, um, people in general were much less savvy about finding finding things on the internet because most companies didn't have you know really good websites. There wasn't so much uh, advertising. There wasn't so much profile. Uh, you know, you didn't have design blogs really. You didn't yeah. have uh, Pinterest. All these things that you would could easily find uh, something that you like. Um, so I didn't, didn't really know how to go about it. Um, I, I did get a bunch of interviews at the time. Yeah, nothing that I really, really wanted. Uh, I interviewed for all sorts. I remember interviewing to do uh, like drafting for the fire brigades. And it's like uh, anyway, so I did, I did all these things, um, and yeah, lo- like loads, loads more rejection. Uh, a few that I did, I did one, uh, didn't yeah, didn't get them at the time, um, and I think you know in hindsight. Part of that is definitely that I you know, probably wasn't ready either. You know, I, I didn't have my stuff together. I didn't, I still didn't really know, you know, uh, what I wanted to do with it. Because, you know, within interior design, like any design, like graphic design, um, you know, there's so many subsections of, you know, do I want to do hospitality design, whether uh, retail, residential, you know, workplace, whatever it might be. Um, so I think, you know, wasn't really savvy, didn't really know what to do, couldn't really find anything. Uh, like I said, did all sorts of jobs. Uh, I did, I was like surveying psychiatric wards in Glasgow, which was uh, interesting to say the least. Yeah. Um, and then ended up working for the, the railways. Um, so like I said, my dad's a civil engineer, so he managed to get me in there for a while. That's cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. So just hopping around. How how long were you, were you doing that for before you got somewhere? Yeah, so that was uh, that was probably about three three years, I think it was. Um, so like, yeah, two two thousand and one to about two thousand four, um, jumping around doing all sorts, and then uh, I'd actually spent a bit of time in between there uh, in America, going back and forth. I travelled a lot in the East Coast. Um, and then that was the point where I kind of considered uh, giving up uh, on design, like interior design. I was like, yeah, don't really know if I want to do it. Don't really know if uh, right. uh, probably more, you know, kick, kick to your confidence because you weren't getting any traction. So yeah, you kind of question. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm not that good at it. Maybe I should maybe I should sack this off. Um, so there's there's definitely synergies between. You know, like I was saying, uh, leaving school and you're kind of one of the best in your class and then going into the wide world of university and all of a sudden there's lots of good people. And then the, the next level of filter is then everyone trying to get a job. Yeah, yeah. And I, like, I didn't keep in touch with everyone from my university, but I, I, I think at the time you know, there was maybe like two or three people out of the whole course that managed to get a decent job. Oh, really? Wow. Through. Yeah, most people get pretty, pretty rubbish jobs. Um, and now, like, I've got no idea what any of them are doing. Like, I've not heard of any is that, is, that, is that quite common, though? Do, do people in the industry now uh, still find it hard to get a job straight out of college or university? I, I think there's a, a bunch of factors, so it depends uh, geographically where you are. Right. So there's, de- there's, definitely, you know, there's definitely 
less less work in Scotland by the, the pure fact that there's less people. You know, so the population in the whole of Scotland is less than the population in London. Yeah. So you know, so yeah, so there's obviously there's less opportunities. Um, and then from that, the, the, the projects, the scale of them generally uh, are smaller, so there's less budgets, so again, there's less opportunity. Um, so I think I think a lot of people uh, to succeed will, you know, be drawn to, to London because London's, you know, it's big. There's a lot going on, there's a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I honestly don't know what it's like now, but, you know, back in Scotland. Um, but... For me in London, it feels like there's way more opportunities and it's much easier for younger graduates to get a job, mm. uh, especially just now. The industry's busy. Uh, there's a lot happening. Uh, you just need to look across London's skyline and you see the amount of cranes that are on the horizon. Yeah. And, you know, that's always a good gauge for uh, how much has been on. Um, and you know, in our office, we've got a good program of uh, connecting with universities, taking on interns, cool. and then generally, you know, offering them a position as a junior designer once they finish their course as well. So, nice. yeah, it's, it's almost like that apprenticeship model I was talking about where you, you, know, you, earn, you, you learn on the job and you're, you're, you know, or whatever that is in the summer. Yeah, yeah. When you went to America, was that a holiday or was it just um, just trying to get a job out there as well? Uh, it's, it's kind of complicated, but uh, oh. it was... So, I didn't have a, a proper visa to be there, right. so I probably, I probably shouldn't say this as well. So I'd <laughs> incriminate myself. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I wasn't supposed to be working there, um, but you know I could spend around ninety days, so like you know, the three month uh, visa waiver, um, and it was mostly you know like I said I travelled around a lot, uh, but I did pick up little bits of graphic design work while I was over there. Um, Nothing tremendously exciting, to be honest. You know, it was, uh, it was uh, a lot of stuff for the industrial industry, um, so the like, uh, advertisements and uh, catalogs for things that you know, sexy things like screws and uh, fixings and things like that. Um, but you know, is it? You know, it may not have been the most creative thing, but what what I always try and get, and I, I've learned this like over the years, is. Um, now, no matter what you're doing, no matter what the job is or the task, uh, even if it's not exciting, you know, there's always ups and downs and swings and roundabouts. Mm. Um, try, try and use whatever it is that you're doing or whatever project you're on uh, to, to learn something or to get something positive out of it. Mm. Um, so for that for the, that work that I was doing, uh, I basically uh, used it to enhance uh, Adobe skills at the time because you know, the Adobe packages were just thing just started to merge, like InDesign was PageMaker or something before. Um, so yeah, so it was basically, right, how can I really hone uh, you know, a system of setting, setting up files quick, producing you know, not interesting stuff in a really quick method. Um, yeah, and then just getting your process uh, refined and speeded up and getting efficiencies. Um, so I always, I always try to say that to like, uh, you know, some, like I said, sometimes uh, when we're working with graduates or junior designers, um, obviously when they're at university, you know, the, the, the canvas is infinite. So, you, you know, you never have a budget really and you can like, pick your own building, you can do anything and it's like super creative as it should be. So they're like spend, you know, spend their whole time just creating and, you know, thinking without limits. And then, you know, 
they, their first job uh, out of university, uh, they might have a boring project, you know, or they might have a, a not particularly exciting role on that project, you know, they might be supporting someone, yeah. uh, the lead designer. But I would always say, you know, learn, learn what you can from that. And if it is, if it's making your life easier, so learning how to do boring stuff, you know, really efficiently or quickly, then that means you're going to free up time to then have time to think about the interests of the creative stuff. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on to to America, back back to moving around. Uh, yeah, what was it like going from from place to place and and working in different places? Um, it, it was interesting. So again, like uh, you know, I try and use every opportunity to learn something. So I was always learning uh, how either how you know practical stuff like how to use a program efficiently. So like on uh, on the railways, I learned how to use CADs, like the computer the drone. Uh, like really, really efficiently and really quickly. Right. Um, but I guess more importantly, you, you, you learn how to work with other teams, different people, um, understanding different professions. So, you know, I, I think that was a, a real advantage. So even if it's something that I'm never going to work with again or work in, uh, you got to understand the different mindset of how people approach work, uh, how, they, how they deliver stuff, uh, how they think. Um, but then also how, how from a, a pure people point of view, how people interact on a daily basis. Um, and that really varied from, you know, su- super informal, uh, you know, whatever, t- T-shirts and trainers types of people mm. uh, to uh, a work somewhere where, you know, you had to shave. You can see, you know, you can see I've not shaved in about 20 years now. But, <laughs> um, but like this place was, you know, demanded that you were clean cut. Uh, yeah. you, know, you always had a, a shirt on, you, know, you always had shoes on, all that sort of thing. Um, so I think you learn things from all these things, you know, different cultures, different organisations, different ways of doing things, uh, yeah, different people. And and does like graphic design differ much from interior design as in the uh, process? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I guess one, one of the things that... Uh, really appealed to me about interior design in the end was, uh, you know, you're, th- you're thinking differently, you're thinking in three dimensions as opposed to, you know, traditionally graphic design is a two-dimensional thing. You know, I know, I know nowadays is uh, evolution of that, but when I was studying or starting out, you know, graphic design was a very two-dimensional thing, um, whereas interiors is a... Uh, not just thinking about how people interact with you know your design, but how they uh, how they exist within it, which I guess is again different from from graphics. Um, uh, and I think it, you know I think interior design is completely unique like that. Obviously, architecture is about being inside uh, a physical three dimensional environment, um, but often. Uh, <laughs> Without being controversial, but, uh, often uh, architecture is uh, is about you know the, the bigger item. It's about uh, often architects are really interested in form, you know, the bigger form. So right. ex- externally, um, but also in- internally, it's more about the bigger gestures. Um, whereas interior design is much more uh, human scale. It's much more about how. How you and I, you know, interact and sit in a space or pass through a space or use a space or yeah. So I guess that that's the main the main main difference for me between graphic design and interior design. 
Um, but there's, there's, you know, like all, I think all design has overlaps in how you approach it, um, uh, obviously in styles. Um, but yeah, there's a bit, any design incurs uh, logic and, you know, thinking about how things come together, whether that is two dimensionally, three dimensionally, or, or whatever dimension, alter dimension. Yeah, and talking about stars, like you, you're in a, a quite a minimal room, like just white, quite a lot of white around you. Is that? Um, <laughs> and there's a massive black black backdrop behind you as well. Um, yeah, it's quite it's quite a smart little room. Is that like just an office room or is that a meeting room or what? So this is a meeting room, and it's uh, it's called Rock. Right. So um, so uh, little story. So at our last office, we had uh, we only had three meeting rooms. So the, the meeting, we, we did a competition and then uh, the winning entry was to name the three rooms after uh, rock, paper, scissors, okay. which is pretty, pretty good because we had three rooms. Um, and then when we, we moved into our new office uh, a couple of months ago and we had the dilemma that we had five meeting <laughs> rooms. So we're like, oh no. And then we, again, we did a competition. Uh, people come up with all sorts of things. Uh, some appropriate, some not appropriate, uh, some good. Um, and then uh, one of the guys, uh, Davin, uh, had the brainwave where he was like, you know, look, guys, you remember how excited we were when we named them Rock, Paper, Scissors? It's like, uh, apparently there's an evolution of the game Rock, Paper, Scissors. I don't know if you know. I've heard of uh, various forms of it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's Rock, rock Paper, Scissors, Lizard, Stock. Uh, <laughs> So that's the five rooms. Um, so yeah, I'm at I'm at block. Nice. Um, and I, I should send you a picture. Actually, there's like a nice little manifestation that's like an illustration, and it's a, a fist uh, cool. for rock. So, yeah. Okay. Um, what goes into like thinking about a meeting room, or even just like a clear space? Um, are, you, are you like uh, no, so uh, one of you know personal. Excuse me. Sorry, sorry. sorry. Yeah, sorry. That's <laughs> alright. Um, so what you know, one of the things personally, uh, my approach to design and also uh, our approach to design uh, at HLW is you know, and hence hence that I joined HLW in the first place. Um, we, we're not, uh, we don't have a house style, so we don't have a signature style. Um, you know, all of our projects look, look different. Um, we have we have a little strap line, which is uh, our work tells your story, um, which is, you know, as what as what is true. So we, we are you know, much more interested in understanding an organisation, understanding what, you know, what the narrative is, what, what they want to tell through their space. Um, and then designing to that. So I would, myself, and uh, I would encourage the rest of the design team, uh, we, you know, we would never enforce a style, so we would never uh, never bring personal taste to it. So personally, I, you know, I probably am uh, you know, kind of modernist, uh, I wouldn't say I'm minimalist, uh, I'd say I'm, yeah, it's clean, I like clean, simple uh, design. Um, but that you know that's not right for everyone. Yeah. Um, but you know what I would take from that is more the the functionality. 
uh, of uh, it needs to work, it needs to be intuitive, it needs to be simple. Uh, things, you know, it's the same, it's the same in communication design, graphic design. You don't, you don't want to confuse people. People need to understand um, how they use the space or what messages or how they, uh, how they use a room, you know, so the components are within it. Um, and then there's a, you know, from the functional point of view and not, not the aesthetic point of view, there's a, a bunch of things that you, you're probably always going to need to accommodate in a room. So obviously, if it's a closed room, there's a door. Yeah. Yeah, there's, a door there's a screen on the wall. If you've got AV, um, there might be uh, pin-up space uh, or acoustic material. Uh, there might be a cadenza, which is going to be IT and AV kit and a, you know, whatever. There's, a, there's going to be a bunch of components within that room. So you, there's, there's always going to be an optimum logic to how you kind of set that out and ensure that people can move around it and use it in a, in a logical way. Um, but how that aesthetically looks, you know, there's a million and one different ways that you could do that. And have you found like a, a way, a best way for productivity or like a best way for thinking and producing ideas? For me personally, how, how I produce stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess there's a bunch of things that I always do when I'm when I'm uh, designing, um, but I, I I don't think you should, you know, I don't think you should make it so rigid, right. because then if it's super rigid, then you you may miss you may miss opportunities uh, for creativity. Um, so I guess for me, uh, you know, it's whatever the project is, whatever the score. Um, it's about getting in the headspace uh, of the client, mm. under, understanding the brief clearly. Um, you know, sometimes we, we may write the brief with the client um, or write the vision for the project. Um, and from that stage, it's about uh, really trying not to uh, not to form preconceived ideas too early or, or at all. Um, so it's about keeping an open mind, really getting embedded in things, and then. Uh, thinking about the big idea and not, you know, what I wouldn't do is, uh, you know, for an example, so you get you're given a brief or you get given a vision from a client, you know, what you shouldn't do is, you know, start looking or thinking about uh, what does the space look like, you know, you, you've, got to kind of, you've got to kind of park that, so you need to, you need to understand the big idea, like what, from a functional point of view, but also from an aspirational point of view, okay. and from a point of view, what, what do they want to achieve? And I, you know, for us, that might be, you know, and this might take us a week or more to get there, um, or weeks. Uh, now, that might just be a word or maybe a sentence that just sums up, right, this is, this is what the project is all about. And then from that point, then you would go down your you know, rabbit hole of thinking about uh, again, you know, how maybe the, the relationships of the spaces. So again, you're not you're not diving into what, what the aesthetic is or what the materials are or any of that sort of stuff. And um, it's keeping it, you know, keeping it big and wide and loose to begin with. And you know, and as the process goes on, you effectively obviously are narrowing that and narrowing that and refining that and editing that. To the point where it's you know so succinct, um, and it's a clear, it's a clear uh, aesthetic, it's a clear functional design, and it, you know at every point on that process, you should be able to look back to does does it does it meet the you know, does it meet the vision, does it meet the brief, 
does it make sense with this strap line or you know words or whatever it is you you make up? Um, and then you know again for me process wise, at the start of a project we would always have a, a group uh, brainstorm. So like you know it's rare that our projects would have you know less than a, you know, a whole bunch of people working on it just because of the scale. Um, uh, and also different roles. So you have, you know, like, uh, you, know, uh, you always have a, a principal on a project, a design director like myself, uh, you know, senior designers, lead designers, project leaders, all these different roles and everyone's got their own, their own part to play. That um, must be, it's like sometimes yeah. that must be quite hard, like keeping everyone happy at the same time of getting all the ideas in. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's why you would have uh, defined, clearly defined roles and right. responsibilities. So, so people aren't competing with each other. Um, and like I said, uh, we, you know, you'd start that whole process by having initial brainstorming mm. and every, everyone's bringing everything to the table, every idea. Uh, you know, we encourage, uh, you know, just to get everything out, you know, even the bad stuff. So you're just, everyone just throwing everything yeah. out. And then, you know, as a team, you can uh, quickly kind of start to, you know, say, you know, this is definitely not right. You know, this, this I think, has got legs. We can, we can work on this. Or, you know, I'm not sure about this. And then again, it's that process of refinement. And um, and again, like going back to the roles and responsibilities. That's that's your role as a you know lead designer or uh, directing to uh, to kind of bring everyone together and listen to everyone and you know not have bias uh, and not have preconceived ideas and always be willing to to listen to everything and try everything out. Yeah, I suppose that's quite similar to graphic design in a way, that whole process of thinking back to the brief all the time and, and like the stages that you listed out there. Um, with, with a graphic design studio, a lot of studios tend to be quite white and open, like you say. Is, is white like typically the, the colour of... Uh, well, it's not like productivity, or like the colour of like, leaving everything fresh and open and keep feeling, feeling bright, doesn't they? I don't know. Like, I, I think, do you know what? I think for for interior design and architectural practices, often they are quite uh, quite minimal or stark environments. Um, but I guess, well, there's a couple of factors. So one factor is most most uh, design practices actually uh, spend less on their own space. Yeah, and they probably because they're they're so busy doing doing that as a job. Um, I guess you kind of refine the process, so you, you don't want to be seen as uh, you know, spending all your money and being extravagant and design for design's sake and you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, so I, I think function uh, probably uh, overrides a lot of creative practices mm. because it's all about you know make sure you've got the right types of spaces, whether that's you know pin up spaces. We've got loads of pin up space. Uh, layout spaces for you know big drawings and things like that. So, mate, I think that probably rides it uh, originally, and then obviously you know you've got you've got to, you've got it to look good. Yeah. Um, but I think there's there's probably some links to if you think about uh, an art gallery. You know, art galleries tend to be quite minimal, and you know, it's all about the content that's in there that gives it life, and and that's the focus of the space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for us, like, I'm looking out the room just now and all the way around the whole studio is a pin-up space for each project. So each project has its own pin-up space. 
there's good shelves for you know, physical samples and models and things like that. Um, so that, you know, that and the people that are in the space and you know, the activity, that's what gives our space um, most of its life and character, I would say. Brilliant, yeah. Um, I, I think that's, that's, that's great. I, I think about it in here as well. Like it's, it's my parents' living room, but it's uh, <laughs> but I I'm working on it. I've got a little desk area. It's a bit messy, but uh, I see you've got an uh, England football strip. What's the relevance of that one? Is that a special one? Uh, yeah, so that's that's uh, Jeff Hurst uh, signed shirt uh, from '66. It's not actually the shirt's not from '66, but it's just a yeah shirt somewhere. And that one's like <laughs> Liverpool. Uh, Stephen Gerrard, uh, Alonso, and uh, Rafa from 2005, so it's not too okay. bad. Yeah, that's a bit of a Liverpool fan, a bit of a football fan. Yeah, <laughs> got shirts down there as well. Um, yeah, and you've got a record player over there in the corner as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, little, yeah, it's still a mess though. You don't want to see anything else. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's hard when it's your parents' living room. I've been thinking, just taking everything upstairs to my own room again, and just start like sort of starting again. I like, complete uh, blue walls that would be good for like the background for. the videos and uh, got sort of like a lights that look like a spotlight so that'd be quite cool for videos as well and um, a bit yeah. better background than this for podcasts uh, but yeah yeah we'll see what happens but see size and that's one thing that sort of fascinated me like ever since i was young this architecture and interior design as well even though i've never really gone into it uh it's just like how can you play around with space and i was always like taking pictures on and off the wall and playing around with things it's quite yeah. it's quite a crazy thing um I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it, but the football stadium. Are we allowed to talk about that? The project yeah, recently. Let's not name it. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't written it down. So, yeah, yeah, I can tell you about that. So, um, uh, so what? Uh, full disclosure. So I, I hate football. Oh really? Oh no. Um, I mean, there's, there's a couple of main reasons. Uh, one of them is that I'm Scottish and Scotland's football team is rubbish. Mm. Uh, you know, when, when was the last time they qualified? <laughs> uh, and then uh, and when I grew up, grew up in Glasgow, um, there's this real, you know, the old farm, so there's a real rivalry, uh, and it's all uh, like religiously loaded. Yeah. So we, we, I remember... Uh, my my dad taking me to a football game when I was maybe like seven or eight, uh, and it was a massive battle on the bus. So it was just like people punching shit out of each other, um, which was absolutely traumatizing for a you know a seven or eight year old. And um, so I think that that set me off on the path of just not 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 liking football because yeah. associated it with uh, bad things, I guess. Um, so to, to come back to the uh, stadium project, so when when I, I was uh, put forward to kind of lead it, um, we, we did have a joke about it and I told my dad, I was like, Dad, I'm getting to design like, a football stadium and I, I hate football. <laughs> um, so uh, so in the, the first couple of meetings that I sat in were quite funny because people were using loads of terminology about uh, you know, functional spaces and the types of spaces that you have in the stadium. Yeah, yeah. And I was just sitting like, yeah, 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 you know, like, whew, like no, no idea. Um, so then as soon as I get out, I'd be like, Googling, Googling yeah, yeah. Like, you know, what is this? Um, so anyway, so that so that was an interesting project. So uh, 
the uh, a company I used to work for uh, had a, a sports architecture team, so they actually did uh, uh, the delivery architecture. So what that means is um, there was a famous architect who did the kind of concept design, which is you know all about uh, you know the big idea. What's the concept behind the stadium? How does it look? So the, the kind of main main feature of the the look and feel and the aesthetic. Uh, but also obviously functionality. Um, so the company I worked for was doing the, the, the kind of detailed technical delivery of that stadium. And uh, one of our international uh, teams was actually doing uh, the, the concepts for the interiors uh, just for some key special areas. So uh, the uh, VIP, uh, VVIP, which is very, very mm-hmm. important people. Um, and then it was like a kind of private uh, royal uh, lounge as well, which was part of that. Um, so anyway, so they were doing that, and the, uh, the project actually ran into trouble at that time uh, with the interiors, not not the not the architecture. Uh, and I don't think you know, the client wasn't uh, happy, and that's when I kind of get uh, dragged in uh, and I get sent over to. Uh, the location <laughs> um, in the last minute, um, so I get sent over there, and I, I basically had to kind of win back the client who was pretty annoyed and upset by that point. And um, so, went them over, you know, did a bunch of uh, creative workshops with them to get them back on board, um, and then uh, my team then ended up taking ownership of all of those interior spaces um, to deliver that. Yeah, so we did that, and that was, like I said, that was a, a learning curve from the functional point of view. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, it's a it's an interior space, so yeah, you know, I can I can design that. And um, but there, there was loads of interesting things for me to learn around, uh, you know, t- tournament design. So how the stadium will be during the actual tournament, yeah. and then how it will be after the tournament. So the legacy. Uh, so there's there's effectively two two lives to the the whole project, and you would have uh, you know areas that would be reducing in size and scope. So then you had to uh, design in the flexibility, and you had to make sure that the design worked in you know both both of its iterations, and it didn't you know it couldn't feel like in the legacy format that you had just cut cut a piece out and taken away. It should feel like its own complete uh, element. Um, so yeah, that was that was great. Um, apart from the fact that uh, I struggle in any sort of heat, uh, and I had to had to had to go in the desert, and it was about forty five degrees or something. So that was a killer. Yeah, hot place, hot place. <laughs> great. So, you know, I'm Scottish, and I've been in London like 11 years and yeah. I'm still not climatised and everyone here is sick of me complaining about how hot it is all the time I think it's the degree you're so hot than like outside of London because I come from like Guildford area, which is like forty-five minutes on the train outside. So it's yeah. trying like getting a train in, you automatically feel like hotter when you get there. It's definitely yeah. like because there's so many people, the big tall towers and buildings. Something about definitely, it. it's the urban environment and the amount of uh, infrastructure that's here. You know, yeah, it's just no, nothing gets out, so it stays hot, and then yeah, not not good. But I won't complain about the heat too much because everyone's sick of it. So, <laughs> um, so, so that must be quite quite a rewarding project to work on, like thinking about where it's going to go in the future and and how it's going to be yeah. used and it's going to be there for a long time. Yeah, I mean, what's what's 
what's uh, not frustrating, but what's uh, a challenge is, you know, when we worked on that and then when that project will be completed, you know, the time scale is massive. So there's still, uh, I'm looking at the calendar, there's still another... It's like years as well, isn't it? It's like four. Yeah, there's another few good few years until that happens. So, uh, and, you know, it'll be interesting because obviously I, you know, I, I did my piece and then, you know, I've, I'm no longer involved with it. So it'd be interesting to see uh, how the design evolves from, you know, where, where we left it to uh, when, it, when it's finally built. Because, yeah. you know, every project uh, evolves in some way and that, you know, that might be because of, uh, you know, the dreaded word is uh, value engineering, which is about, you know, budget, budget issues or something's too expensive so you kind of remove parts of the design and it, and then you also have things like you know unforeseeable things where an organization may change or clients need to make change and then so the, the actual function or mm. type of thing in the space may change so anyway uh, that's a long way of saying it'll be interesting to see uh, when it's finished what it, what it actually ends up like. yeah and whether I want to take any credit for it or not. <laughs> will, you get, will you get to go? Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. That, that was my dad's first question. Yeah. He was like, will I, will I get tickets? No, no it doesn't, doesn't work like that. Oh. <laughs> um, I mean, it's such a beautiful stadium as well. It's quite cool to have you work in that. Like, that's, hopefully, yeah. That's, that's pretty yeah. cool. Um, right, so what's like the dream project for you? Dream project? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm going to be lame and say dream project for me is uh, you know I'll tell you what it's not. It's not. Uh, some people would maybe think you know no budget, you know free freedom to do anything. Um, I think that's that's probably actually you know way way harder than most people think. So. It's good to have uh, definitions of things, right. whether that's you know limit of scope or intervention. Uh, budget is important. It's important to know how much you've got because then you can design to that. Um, the dream for me is to have uh, an engaged uh, client, so a client is you know up up for it in the first place, and mm. um, they're they're open to trying things. And then at the same time, they're going to challenge you and you're going to challenge each other and you can you know, have a, a reasonable grown-up discussion about things and then you know, come, come to an agreement. Um, you know, that may sound like a minor thing, but to, to have a project where that works throughout the life of the project um, is, is the dream, really. Um, and then, obviously, at the end of it, to uh, have a positive reaction. So to have you know, positive feedback, um, to see people in the space, I guess, and how they react to it, like having a genuine reaction. Yeah. Okay. You know, because it, it does affect you, obviously, because, you know, everyone's got an opinion on everything and design, you know, and, uh, you know, we do a lot of workplace, so places that people spend most of their waking life in an office or in a studio or whatever that might be. Um, so everyone's got an opinion about it, you know, like they would about their home. So they, you know, they hate this or they hate that or they love that and they love this. Um, so yeah, sometimes you can, you know, if you're 
stealthily navigating the space after it's finished and you hear people's genuine reaction to it without knowing maybe who you are or what you're involved with you. Uh, and that can be positive and negative as well. Um, but, you know, I guess from, from me, you know, kind of recent memory, or not, not really recent memory, um, I, did a, I did a really small project for a, a primary school in London, and you know, this was probably like, it's actually almost 10 years ago, which is terrifying. Um, but the, the genuine reaction that the... The, the head teacher had and the student, like students, the pupils and the other kids that are oh, yeah, between yeah. five years and like eleven years old. Um, and I, I went to the, I went along on the first day that they all walked into it for the first time and saw their genuine reaction. Oh, that's awesome. And the, yeah, and the head, the head teacher was like, you know, pretty emotional about it all because it was, you know, it was real and it was, uh, you know. It's not something that they would do, you know. And it, yeah. uh, you know most, most schools don't really have funding to do, do that sort of thing. And the, the teacher, the head teacher, had been amazing, and uh, she brought together uh, funds uh, uh, from different places. And then the the local council met those funds, and they had this little budget. You know, it wasn't extravagant by any means. Yeah. Um, but she, you know, she was so invested in it on a personal level and a professional level. Um, so yeah, I mean that—that's the kind of the dream project, I guess, is to have, uh, yeah, an engaged client, someone that's reasonable, open-minded, willing to try things, and then at the end of the day, they're happy with it because they should be. Because if you've had that positive journey and experience together, mm. and everyone's on board and everyone's buying into the decisions that you make through the whole process, then the end result should be positive. You know, it should—it should really be negative. Absolutely. Is that something you do? Like you bring them along the whole way and make, help them make decisions as well, because it gets them involved yeah. and it, make, it feels like they've uh, they've done sort of some of the work. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So uh, as I kind of alluded to earlier. So our process, we we have different levels of process where you can get in, engaged with a client, and um, so we we may actually help them write the brief for the project yeah. sometimes, uh, or write the vision. So we you know we can be in there from the way at the start. Uh, we might help them uh, find a building if it's a refurbishment, or we might find them, uh, help them find a new building, or whatever it is. So, you know, often we are with them from a very early stage. Uh, cool. you know, for a long time before you actually start designing anything. Yeah. And then through the design process, for me, it's really important that you don't, uh, you don't alienate people. Uh, you know, sometimes. Uh, in architecture and design, sometimes uh, there might be a perceived uh, elitism where you know there's this I, I know better attitude and you, know, you should listen to me. Um, so I think it's really important to get buy in from people. Uh, you know, like I said, don't alienate them, make things clear, you know, don't, you know, don't use jargon and don't try and confuse people and you know, wave a magic trick. You, you really need to. Uh, Speak to whatever the audience is uh, in their language, so that they understand it, and then they'll buy into it. Because if you're not, you know, if you're not making people feel stupid about the design process, yeah. you know, they're going to buy into it. They're going to get excited about it, um, and then you know, like we kind of different levels of engagement where through the design process, uh, if we're doing someone's offices, uh, you know. It may be uh, a senior leadership team that are involved that we do workshops with to understand uh, their goals and ambitions, you know, 
Uh, one, of, one of the questions we ask is, what, what does success look like? So, right, you know, when, when it's finished and, you know, you saw something, what, what would, you know, what would signify success for you in your new space? Um, and then other times we'll have a whole, uh, a whole cross-section across an organisation. So, you know, from the, the guy that works in the mailroom, uh, you know, HR, legal, finance, up to the CEO, you know, senior managers. So you get a real cross-section across the organisation that you can engage with. Mm-hmm. And then you get really balanced view. You know, as well, sometimes there's a danger that if you just engage with really senior leadership with an organisation, then uh, you know, they have a very different uh, overview of what the, the business is like. Obviously, they understand how it functions you know, as, a, as a complete business and financially and all that. And they'll have their own ideas. Um, but, you know, they might not be in a day-to-day uh, you know, scenario interacting with every level within our organisation and they might not understand how, you know, middle or what managers are working or how they deliver work. Mm. Um, so it's, it's good to get that through full spectrum of engagement, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, because that's, that's something I'm trying to do more in design as well. That bring them in and like, like, like I said, like, like you said as well, like, take them through the process and walk them through it and help them understand mm-hmm. it. Because a lot of graphic design clients, especially as well, like they don't understand the process of what, where we start and, and take it. They don't understand what we're doing. It's, you know, it's clicking around on the computer. So uh, to them, so it's, it's nice to that firm to actually learn something as well. Um, Definitely. I mean, one one of the. Uh, Things because uh, I know I know you had uh, Adam Drapel on the show a couple of times, and <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm a big fan of him. But I remember he, he gives loads of uh, good advice. But one of the pieces that always sticks in my mind is um, about you know, part of his process. I mean, he's got people engaged, so he's, he's shown clients uh, options, and people say to him, uh, "Oh, the client, the client picked the, the shit one." And then his, his, his response is, well, why did you show him the shit one? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's such an important thing. So you can bring, you can bring them along on the journey. You can have a, an interactive and an iterative process with them. But, you know, don't, you know, don't show them anything that you're not going to be comfortable with in the end. You know, they all, they all need to work. All the options that you're showing them need to work. Mm, absolutely. Uh, what's your best bit of advice? For young uh, people wanting to get into interior and architecture, and just graphic design, creative fields. Yeah, well, I've got. I, I had to write down some stuff because I was like, I'm, I'm going to remember. Uh, advice, right? Here's my my words of wisdom in no particular order. Um, so the the first one I, that came to mind was uh, be a sponge. So you know, just consume everything, uh, and you know, for me, that's not just whatever field that you're in. So if, you, if you're in graphic design, don't just consume graphic design. You know, look at other stuff, look at everything, nothing, you know, everything creative or anything that's going to be inspirational. Um, you know, for me, like, uh, although I had a you know, slight experience with other, other uh, disciplines, uh, you know, I've always been interested in how you know, art or how theatre or how anything can... Uh, influence, you know, film design, set design, how anything can influence uh, interior design. Um, and then, you know, that might even be uh, hospitality, so how, how you felt when you went somewhere, you know, and that, that could be down to the people you're interacting with and how, how they're trained. Um, so, yeah, be, you know, be a sponge and just absorb 
everything and anything. Yeah, don't write stuff off just because it's got nothing to do with what you're doing. Um, yeah, and it, it might be you see something that makes you feel a certain way and you think, right, that, that, that's a good feeling. How can I replicate this in, in this different discipline? Yeah. And to soak it all up with all your senses. Um, and then, you know, from that, open your mind. You know, so don't, uh, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where you know, don't let your personal tastes influence everything so much, I guess. Um, you know, always, always meet the brief, uh, always be willing to, to try different things, I guess. Because um, otherwise, you know, you're, you're in a real danger of being stuck in a echo chamber where you just, you know, you're, you do the same stuff and you, you know it works and you like it in your style and you just keep them down that route. So I would say, you know, open your mind, try other things. They might not work and you might end up going back to the, the thing that did work. And, but you, you, you never know unless you try it out, I guess. So, yeah. Open your mind. This this one's really important for me. So uh, be reasonable. So that that sounds like not a big deal, but like uh, I think being a reasonable person is like massively uh, strong skill set, or you know, it's really attractive to me if I'm working with someone or you know interviewing someone to join the team. And um, you, you need to be uh, reasonable. You need to be reasonable with. Um, and that can be again back to clients. So you know, it's not always it's my way or the highway. You know, you need to you need to get to see it and understand uh, other people's points of view. Um, if you you know if you're like that and you're reasonable, people are going to work with you, and uh, you know it all comes in. Um, so yeah, be a reasonable person. Uh, pick your battles. So you know that kind of goes back. That's connected to reasonable, and um, you know. There's the, the kind of cliche of the creative genius, it's a prima donna and, the, and you know, throws their toys out of the pram and you know, everything, no, it must be like this, it can't be any, any other way. And, you know, some, sometimes you need to let some things go, even if you don't agree with it, and that might be because uh, a client doesn't agree with you, and they might be right, they might be wrong. Um, but sometimes you need to just let that go, and you need to go over it. Yeah, I've had that um, problem, yeah. <laughs> You had experience. I've had that experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, well, yeah. Well, as I say, where I've lost, I lost, um, you know, I've lost work from it. So I've, I've been too stubborn in the past and thought, oh, this isn't going to turn out my way. So let's just stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a balance. So you, you know, you don't want to ever feel like you've sold out and you're doing something that you don't, you don't buy into. Yeah. But but you might you know if you look at if you look at the wider picture and you think right uh, is it really worth getting into a massive fight about this little thing here you know or do I let this little thing slide and I, you know and then I make it as best as I can and, and I try to make it work and then maybe in the background I work a way around it that I can then maybe convince them that look if we adapt this to this this is this is better I don't know um, and then you know. You may be thinking, right, there's going to be other things along the way. Uh, like I was saying, you know, our projects could last for years sometimes, big construction projects. Um, so you, you really need to pick, you know, is it worth fighting for this? Because I think, you know, further down the line, that this might be a bit more contentious and this is a bigger thing. And I genuinely believe that this thing, if it was removed or if it was you know, watered down, it would be completely detrimental to the project. So yeah, pick pick your battles. No, it's not it's not worth uh, every time. 
Nice. Um, okay, two more. Yeah, um, go for it. So, uh, so one, one of my favorites, uh, delegate. So when you're when you're in a team, uh, sometimes especially designers and creative people, they can get really caught up on uh, you know the the, uh, the micro, and they kind of zoom in and they want to get involved with every little detail and be involved with every design uh, decision that's made all the way through the process. And mm. um, if you build if you build a team around you uh, that you, you, know, you trust. Um, that you're there to support and you're you know you're directing appropriately and mentoring. Uh, you can then trust them to go on with certain things, you know, or, or all of it. Um, and then you're just there to kind of dip in and help and support. Um, and then it gives you time then or you know whoever it is in the project, uh, if they're delegating, it gives them time to think about other things. So, you know, if, you, if you're not getting caught up in doing every single drawing by yourself or making sure every detail is done correctly, you can be there in a way thinking about the bigger picture again and you can be thinking about, like, what is the overlying concept or you know, what, what is the key language to all of this? And then you can delegate and people can do that package of information or they can focus on that detail, they can do that, they can do that. And then, you know, you're going to have a much stronger project And they're in a position where they have a little network of people, so they can, you know, if again they can offload uh, remedial stuff, so they don't need to own it. They can direct it and say this is the principles or whatever it is, and they can leave them to go with that. And then again, it means they can free up themselves to think of a bigger picture. So yeah, that's a good one. Um, uh, and then last one's a bit cheesy. Uh, so uh, be uh, genuinely and then uh, brackets uh, passionate. So I generally think uh, you know enthusiasm is completely contagious. So if you're if you're enthusiastic in a, and not in a false way, if you're enthusiastic about right, we've got a we've got a challenge, we've got a creative project here. Uh, you know, no matter what it is, going back to what I was saying earlier around. Uh, see the benefit or what you can learn or what you can achieve from whatever the project is and getting enthusiastic about that and then getting the rest of the team enthusiastic about it and it's, it's definitely going to spread people are going to buy into it everyone's going to you know uh, have bought into the design and whatever the output is and then when you're uh, when you present with a client or you're doing workshops with a client that genuine enthusiasm is going to come out because everyone has been involved in creating it in the first place and buying into it and excited about the possibilities. So then the client automatically is going to be enthusiastic about it and they're going to see how passionate you are about it, you know, and, and then keep going back to it genuinely. So, you know, it shouldn't, yeah. it shouldn't be this kind of forced, you know, fake, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, it's going to spread. That stuff's, that stuff's contagious and then... You're going to get more buy-in. It's going to make your life much more easier, and everyone's going to be happy. Absolutely, that's what's really important. Being that transparent self, and and obviously you're passionate about it because you're doing it. Uh, for, yeah. That's your job, so it's it's something you need to show. Uh, uh, yeah. So, and like you know, everyone has peaks and troughs. You're going to have yeah. you know, you're going to have days, or you're going to have weeks, or you're going to have projects where you're 
you know, really testing your patience or really testing your, um, your skills, whatever it may be, but you just, you just need to remember that, you know, peaks and troughs, this may come back around, it's going to be good again, you know, and that can change by the day or by the hour sometimes, depending on what you're involved in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what, what's, your, what's your best purchase under £100? What's my what? Best your, purchase? Your best purchase under £100. <laughs> Didn't expect uh, that much. I, I only spend over a hundred now. Yeah, yeah. Um, these interior designers, all the money. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would be nice. Um, I don't know, man. It's probably. Uh, I guess what I'm thinking about is over a hundred pounds. I don't know, man. Like little things. I'm I'm obsessed with. Uh, stationery. So I've got this is a little. Do you know these guys? Uh, Kaweco. I don't know. So it's a uh, J- Japanese. The so Japanese are pretty good at making stationery. Is is a um, And so it's, it's a pen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with stationery. I've got a ridiculous amount of stationery and pens. And some people here make fun of me because uh, I'm like yeah, coloring in and stuff. Uh, as opposed to doing stuff on the computer. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's like a priceless tool, isn't it? You've, it's, it's, that was 18 quid, and I can stick it in my pocket, and I can scribble stuff and sketch stuff and explain an idea in a couple of minutes. So that's an invaluable purchase. That's a rubbish answer, isn't it? No, that's, a great answer. that's a great answer. We've had loads of different things. Like we have backpacks, uh, tickets to, like, Plane tickets and, and tickets to events and things and I think that that's yeah. cool as well. But yeah, pens pens are really cool. It's like that saying is uh, like give LeBron James a basketball and you make him you know, make loads of money and he give you a pen you can make loads of money. It's like different people have different tools and you can yeah. you can do different things with them. Um, so yeah, well, you... I always think uh, you know pens a bit of a it's a bit of a magic a magic weapon and you know, a lot of the time nowadays, I guess, with design, it's so advanced and, you know, everyone's got really high-tech packages and programs and I know you can, you know, I know you can have a, a laptop or an iPad or whatever your, your poison is and you can design on the hoof, but to be able to, like I said, you know, whip that out and draw in the back of a, a napkin mm. or on the back of a seat or something, anyway, you, yeah. can, you, can, you can immediately tell something and seconds as opposed to I'll wait a minute till I fire up uh, Adobe and then you know start trying to move stuff around um, a, a, a good uh, a pen pen example actually is uh, the the first time I went to Japan on my own uh, a long time ago and I uh, travelled around and I met, met a whole bunch of different people um, and uh, I met someone who's still a friend actually uh, and she was from uh, kind of uh, Fukasawa or something, and we met in Kyoto, and her English was terrible, um, and obviously I don't speak Japanese, uh, so uh, we basically spent the day with a little notebook uh, communicating by drones. So That's like, really cool. Yeah, and we, we went everywhere. We were going to like temples and you know, traveling all over in buses, um, and yeah, we were like you know scribbling things like. What, you know, what do you want to eat? And she was drawing like Italian food, and I was like, "I'm in Japan. I can't eat Italian food. <laughs> I'm in Japanese food." 
anyway, so that that that's way better. But I, you know, I guess nowadays you've got a phone that can do live yeah. Google Translate and all that. That's more fun. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a really cool story. Uh, fun. The last one, and I asked this out to everyone. It's like it's a really important question that you can to understand a person from. Um, and, and you can answer it from whichever way you want, like personal or from the business side of it. But how do you want to be remembered? God. Um, that's an interesting one because Stephen I was much, like, much, much younger. Um, and I think every, I think most young people probably go through this or, or I'm generalising. Uh, they, they worry about that, about being remembered. And, yeah. you know, I think most people go through some period in their life where they want to be not necessarily famous, but they want to be well-known and yeah. you know, whatever respected in their field or famous for 15 minutes or whatever it might be. Um, and that, yeah, it probably was a concern at some point about how I'll be remembered. Um, but the older I get, the less, the less I'm concerned about that. Um, what I would say, and I, I used to joke about this, um, I would say uh, on my uh, tombstone, uh, I would have uh, here lies a reasonable man, and that's it. Um, and that goes back to I stole this from. Uh, uh, oh, that's another good bit of advice. Always be honest about where you're stealing from. Um, I stole this from you know the Designers Republic. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, if you don't like look look them up, they're awesome. So they. Uh, they're like graphic design pioneers. You'll see how much they influenced graphic design. Uh, they were they were like huge in the nineties. I would say did lots of records. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, they, they, they and it's they're interesting to look at how their style is massively uh, changed and refined and really matured and grown up with them. Yeah. So before it was very all the time and pretty far out. And it's it's super super uh, I don't know super simple and refinement. Anyway, um, they used to have a uh, uh, a thing where I don't know I don't know everything that they used it on, but if you bought a T-shirt from them uh, on the label, it said uh, "reasonable person." I think it was. Okay. And I always remember liking that because it's kind of understated. You know, it's not about being amazing or anything. It's just about it's like aiming realistically, be reasonable. You know. And be, be able to be reasonable. Anyway, nice. so my tombstone would say, "Here lies a reasonable person." That's all you can ask for. You don't want anything else. Yeah. Nice one. Thank you very much for being on the show. That's alright. Thanks for having me. Um, do you want to plug anything? Is there anything you want to you want to social media or anything? Anything you want to plug? Uh, is that the norm? Is that what people yeah, do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you can you know you can check us out. So uh, we're uh, HLW, um, and uh, super brief background. So it's actually started as an American organisation headquartered in uh, New York, and um, the, the London studio has been on the go for I don't know, like, like over twenty years anyway. So uh, we're kind of one of the main main dudes in uh, London, I guess, and and. and uh, we did work across EMEA. Anyway, so um, HLW is uh, www.hlw.com, so that's nice and simple. Um, I think um, I think I can say this, so the website's actually undergoing uh, a kind of redesign soon, so 
Um, yeah, if you check it out, check back in in a while because it will be updated and, and should be better. Um, I guess that's it. And if you want to know anything about us or anything else about us, either check us out on there or anyone can connect you know, with me or any of the other guys uh, on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find. Awesome. Yeah, perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. I really appreciate you listening to the show. It's cool to have someone else, someone a bit different onto the show, someone that isn't solely based in branding. I'm trying to push the show a bit more left field and trying to get a variety of guests on now. It's a bit like what Gavin said to open up everyone's minds to different people and different industries, creativity from all sources. So if you did like the show, screenshot it, take a picture, share it on your social media and stories. And don't forget to tag Creative Waffle. We do have our own podcast Instagram now. We're posting clips up there, good tips, and pretty much everything to do with the show. And if you want to tag at Blue Deer Design as well, I'll I'll repost all of them. Thanks very much. And if you like the show, give it a like. If you didn't like it, dislike. And uh, don't forget to comment on what you think that we can improve on and who you want to see on the show next. Thanks very much, and I'll see you in the next one.